I can tell you something that happened at the gym this morning. Please. So, it was legs day for me, because, well, I haven't been to the gym in a long goddamn time. Mm-hmm. This uh, attempt at waking up in the morning to go, pff, not happened once. <laughs> <laughs> However, I went this morning with Danny, and so, at one point, she, uh, I was doing legs day in the other room, and Danny couldn't see me, so she came over and kind of popped her head around, and I was on the BOSU ball. Mm-hmm. Right? And she was like, oh, okay. So that's what she's doing. And then walked away. And then probably less than a minute later, I fell off said BOSU ball <laughs> <laughs> into a wall and onto the floor. <laughs> Only one person saw me, which is hilarious. <laughs> Because she just kind of looked at me and then looked away like I was causing trouble. She was trying to save you (laughs) some face. (laughs) Bless her. Uh, Yeah. So I walked out. I put the BOSU ball back, (laughs) walked out to Danny, and she's like, oh, what's wrong? Because I came over all, like, ruffled. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I I fell off the BOSU ball. (laughs) Did you hear the racket? <laughs> she was like, no, I literally just poked my head in there and you were doing fine. <laughs> Things went downhill very quickly when I was trying to do squats on top of it. <laughs> so. You're now going to be a story that that lady tells. I know. She's going to be like, I was at the gym the other day and this girl fell down hard, hard. into a wall. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. I ricocheted off the wall onto the floor. The Bosu ball is just like just you know, wobbling back and forth in front of me. I was like, oh, I guess I'm done today. <laughs> Time to take my injured fucking pride and walk away. The universe was telling you enough. Enough. Legs day is over. Finish her. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. Oh, hello. Oh, hi everyone. Hi. This is Cassie. This is Kiana. That's Keeks. Danny's uh, over there. Danny's here. She's on the futon. I'm going to talk really low this okay. whole time. We're just we're just gonna whisper. This is that Brodscott Mox ASMR. <laughs> is that a thing? Mouth, clicking your mouth. We're gonna try and see if I can drink my water with my apparatus. <laughs> so, Cassie's been popping her peas a little hard, mm-hmm. allegedly. <laughs> I don't have I don't have anything in my ears, so I can't tell. Mm-hmm. So they've put two like knee high socks over the mic, and also. Ca- <laughs> Cassie's been disting- distancing herself from the mic a little too much, so we've then tied the socks around her neck. <laughs> Hold on, we'll post and it. We'll post a picture. Where's my camera? It's. I have a camera. Okay. I'll post it for mine. It kind of looks like a medical mask <laughs> from my point of view. Mm-hmm. It's the story of my life. Yeah, it's a bit distracting, but we'll get through it. <laughs> Just know that if Cassie laughs and you hear a bunch of <laughs> rumbling, it's because she's taken the mic off of the box. <laughs> I'm going to try. Re- I'm just going to, like, keep myself planted here. 
Um, also, I can drink my water, so. You need a straw. We're golden. The point... Yeah, oh, yeah, I could just, like, put it right here, eh? Yeah. But you can probably hear my bottle. Look. Ain't nobody got time. Okay. We're on episode 30. Three zero. Our fucking dirty 30 episode. Dirty which 30. is not dirty at all. We've yeah. come to find out. Yeah, we didn't pick dirty, dirty ladies. No. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. What else? <laughs> We're in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> episode just, 30. We were going to do... So disappointed with we ourselves. Had, <laughs> we had the greatest intentions to do something to celebrate. Yeah. And yet, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Nothing in our hands. We're doing American Heroes. Well, I'm... Mine's in American. I was going to say, that's really presumptuous of you. <laughs> it, it I'm is. not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Also, since it's episode 30, I'm going first this week. Mm-hmm. Evens means Cassie mm-hmm. <clears throat> opens. That's right. Okay. So this week, I am talking about Anna Coleman Ladd. Does that name ring a bell? You know who she is? I don't know. She's kind of obscure. But I feel like Ladd. You said Anna Coleman, and I was like, I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Anna Coleman Ladd. There's a place in Portland called Ladd's Edition. I know that. I know it's not that. No, it's not that at all. Well, get get going. Okay, I'll just tell you. Get going. Tell me about this American hero. So, Anna Coleman Watts was born... Hold on. Let me put... Okay, I can read it from down here. Was born... (laughs) Anna Coleman Watts was born in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania on July 15th, 1878. We're doing a lot of 1800s today. I mean... Because we recorded last week's yeah. episode also today. I'm going to break it up. So Okay. Okay, good. Don't don't presume that you know me and my I story. Won't. I'm sorry. Okay. We're on episode 30 and you're doing this? I know. Come on. God. Popping. We're finally fixing my pee popping. <laughs> I'm assuming things. Look. You know what they say about people who assume? They make an ass out of you and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, I used to hate when my mom would say that. She would say that all the time. And also, she would say, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. Which was a real fucking... Yeah. as a kicker. Made me real angry. My mom used to say that I wasn't an accident, just an oops. <laughs> <laughs> that was her big thing. All right. <laughs> Thank you. To be clear, it was an accident. <laughs> I was supposed to tell you. God damn it. Tyler told me a fact about Keanu Reeves, and I was supposed to share it with you. And it had something to do with his name. He is constantly asked, like, what his name means. Mm -hmm. And it means, like, wind through the mountains or some shit like that. I think it means breeze over the mountains. Tomato, tomato. Wind, breeze, air over the mountains. I've always... I listen. I knew that because oh, I've okay. always looked up what my name means, uh-huh. or like everybody does that. They're like, "What does my name mean?" Uh-huh. Oh, it's Hebrew for "I'm good" or like something like that, you know. <laughs> and whenever I put my name in, <laughs> uh huh, it just says like, "Did you mean Kiana?" In another spelling. Oh yeah. Like my, I don't have anything. Gotcha. And then when I do Kiana, Kiana means singer. And I'll tell you what, I'm not a A singer. singer. (laughs) So I looked up what Keanu Reeves' name means. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you know that already, because 
I knew I was going to fuck it up, but I was like, I should probably mention this to Kiana. Yeah. It's it's a question that I get a lot because people assume that, sorry to interrupt. No. And also, why do you have the hiccups be a professional? Um, <laughs> people, I get the question a lot of like, oh my God, what does your name mean? And it means nothing. That's right. It means that people- my dad liked Point Break. <laughs> like, that's what it is. Bill and Ted's Adventures or whatever. You're from Hawaii? What um, does your name mean? Yeah. All the time. Mm. All the time. I bet. Mm. Oh, that's cute. There's a lot of things I, I get being ethnically ambiguous and named Kiana. What did I say you were? Vaguely ethnic? Yeah. I, that's how I used to, And I was like, nope, that's the wrong. That That's wrong. That's I say that about myself. Yeah? I say I'm vaguely ethnic. Oh, that's right. You do. Yeah. That's why I used it. But I was like, yeah. no, no, no. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. I mean, you can say it about you. Much <laughs> yeah. like when I say things about your... Islander feet your and Islander climbing feet coconut trees. And people look at me like, I'm the asshole. I'm like, no, 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 no. She said it, not me. I'm making a joke to her. <laughs> that she has made in my presence. <laughs> uh, I said that at uh, the... <laughs> I said that at the the birthday bowl and danny was like you can't just like come out with those things <laughs> like oh that makes me look bad yeah yeah it's okay what i are you mean gonna do? I'm, I'm not gonna say it's okay but it's okay <laughs> leave all this in this is, this is good content okay where was i anna coleman watts was named was born in Bryn Mawr, pennsylvania july 15th okay. 1878 she was a socialite who grew up with very wealthy parents and many luxuries. She was educated in Europe throughout her childhood. And in her 20s, she decided on a career in art and sculpting. Oh. So she learned, like, the basics. Like, she learned how to paint and all that good stuff while studying in Rome and in Paris. So has got money. She sure does. And she really can just do whatever tickles her fancy. So in 1905, she moved to Boston and she married Dr. Maynard Ladd. He was Mm. a pediatrician. And then that's when she was like, okay, I'm really going to like do something with with my like art skills. So she started formally studying with... A woman named Bella Pratt, mm-hmm. who was a famous sculptor, and she was, like, important because she was one of the first women to be allowed into an anatomy class. Oh, Like, wow. a figure sculpting class. Yeah. Because her lady sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, um, no, I can't do this stuff. I can't sculpt. Knowing. Without knowing what I'm supposed to be fucking looking without at. knowing my subject. Exactly. So she studied with Bella Pratt for three years at the Boston Museum School. One of her, like, really famous sculptures is called Triton Babies. And it's a bronze, like, fountain piece. It's now in the Boston, I think it's called the Fountain Park or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just two, like, cute cherubic little kids. Yeah. They're naked. They're a fountain. You know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Sorry. those uh, those Victorian people and their naked baby fountains. Yeah. They love naked babies. They do. Peeing on things. 
<laughs> they're always, uh, they're always, yeah. So anyway, uh, her Triton baby's piece was one of five fountain pieces, and there were seven other, like, sculptures shown at the 1915 Panama Pacific Exposition in San Francisco, mm. a.k.a. the World's Fair. Yes. She was also a founder of the Guild of Boston Artists, where she held a one-woman show in 1916, and it was described in the Boston Evening Transcript as so. The 40 or more pieces of sculpture by Ms. Anna Coleman Ladd indicate, okay, the indefatigable, oh, what did it, indefatigable, look. What does that mean? It basically means tireless. These pretentious assholes. Okay, so, <laughs> look, here's how this worked. We had a funny conversation this morning. I get an email every day mm. from Word Genius so I can learn new words. Mm-hmm. And the word today... Or maybe it was yesterday. It was one of the days. Was indefatigable. Oh, you put this in? You're no, no, oh, I okay. didn't. But when I was reading this, I was like, I'm going to have to Google that because I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like you said, it's loquacious <laughs> and it's a little fucking pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> you could have just said tireless or unable to be fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I said it about 40 times this morning, wrong, almost every time. And I was like, I'm going to come to that word and I'm going to just butcher the shit out of it. Mm. However, indefagata. God damn it. <laughs> that sounded like a slur. It did. <laughs> I'm Look, I'm not going to try it again. Okay. Yeah, you did it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry. I just realized there's something in my story that I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> Go ahead. Because we're professionals. <laughs> okay. Where was I? Indicate the indefatigable activity of the artist. She is evidently full of ideas for symbolic, allegorical, and imaginative sculpture. She has a very interesting vein of fancy, which she has found an outlet in the garden and fountain bronzes. Mm. So... She's just, she's, it's very, like, whimsical. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, there's naked babies. It's all just very, like, light and pretty, like, like a good Victorian girl is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in addition to the shows in Boston, she also had numerous shows in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. Ladd also challenged herself in many, like, artistic ways. So she wrote two books called Eronymous Rides and The Candid Adventurer. She wrote at least two unproduced plays, one of which incorporated the story of a female sculptor who goes to war. Oh. And she devoted much of her time to portraiture, a.k.a. painting portraits of people, and she was pretty damn good at it. Mm. Her portrait of Eleonora Deuce was one of only three that the actress ever allowed. Oh. So she sat for a painting, but it was like... A big deal. It was a big deal. Exactly. <clears throat> so, that's like her growing up and kind of getting her career like up off the ground and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, in late 1917, 
Anna moved to France with her husband, who was appointed to direct the Children's Bureau of the American Red Cross. Mm. So, this is during World War One. Mm-hmm. hmm He's a famous pediatrician, and he's sent to the, you know, the American Red Cross over there because it's just war-torn. Yeah. It's just being decimated in Europe. So, it's when they moved... It's, this is in Toul, which is near Paris. Okay. I think it's just kind of right outside of it. Um, so, at this time, she was introduced to this man named Francis Derwent Wood. And Francis Derwent Wood is also a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And so, he has kind of started this type of work... And it's in the Masks for Facial Disfigurement Department. Ah. Uh, so. Okay. He's, he's taken his sculpting skills mm-hmm. and said, how can I help these, these men who are being annihilated mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in the war? Yeah. And so um, this, this Masks for Facial Disfigurement Department is... First of all, it's a mouthful to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, so it was often referred to as the Tin Noses Shop. Okay. Which I think is hysterical. <laughs> and all I can think of is the Tin Man who looks like he just has a funnel. Just boop. Just right in the middle of his face. Speaking of fake noses and the Tin Man, <laughs> here's a fun story. Okay. That's not mine. Okay. So... Zeth played the Tin Man in our school's production I can't of the Wizard of Oz. How cute that is! Okay, and oh, if I get, the, I hope I get the story right. So something they were playing around backstage or like during rehearsals or something, uh-huh. and essentially Zeth got clotheslined by <laughs> somebody else on the cast uh-huh. and broke his nose. <laughs> But it was in the middle. It was, like, between the first week of shows and the second week. Mm-hmm. And so then he couldn't get the silver makeup on his I'm nose. Sorry, his actual nose? Yes, he oh broke his God. nose. <laughs> so he couldn't get makeup on it. And so they started fitting him with fake noses before. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways. That's the best. So I thought you meant, like, he broke his, like... Tin Man. Like no, he broke his full ass oh nose. <laughs> he was taken out. Oh, I just no. I like to imagine that both feet left the ground, <laughs> and his spirit also left him, <laughs> and, and watched was- him collapse like a pile of bricks. Yeah. Oh but my gosh. He would have. She she would have made him a nose. She would have. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. What was that? It's a mixing bowl. Why is it in the podcast dome? Because it was over here. Oh. With my other special effects stuff in it. Okay. That makes sense. So (laughs) the big gong is just a tiny mixing bowl. No worries, everyone. Okay. Okay. Tin noses. Tin, yeah. Tin noses shop. So after meeting with Mr. Wood... Anna founded the American Red Cross's Studio for Portrait Masks, which, A, 
is a lot nicer to say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But also, the other place was in the hospital. It was, like, on the third floor of this big hospital. Her studio was in a building, but, like, there was this really lovely, like, courtyard. And everything's covered Mm. in ivy. And it's just very, like, quiet and kind of set out. It was calming. It was a very calming place to go. Yeah. So, as the, the the director of this mask-making studio in Paris, Anna worked with these men who had taken shrapnel and bullets and, like, flamethrowers to, to the face. Yeah. So, World War I was the first conflict where we used huge, heavy artillery. Mm-hmm. But also, because of trench warfare, while they were down in the trenches... It was easy enough to cover up, but as soon as they popped their little heads up, yeah, like their helmets w- could protect their essentially like their skulls and their brains, but there's nothing protecting their faces. Yeah, um, and so that's how all of these injuries happened. So she studied dozens of these defigurements and injuries and stuff, and even though plastic surgery was a thing, reconstructive surgery was not anywhere near, like, what it is today. Yeah. So they can close up these big gaping wounds Mm -hmm. where somebody's jaw is missing, but then it's just gone. Yeah. And so she used her sculpting skills to make masks that resembled what the patient looked like pre-war. Mm-hmm. She wanted to give the faces back to the soldiers who lost part of theirs in this trench warfare. Mm-hmm. She insisted that her office be a safe space. There's no judgment or fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and these men could, like, come in and, re- you know, relax and be really open with her and her staff. I was reading, like, there was always a lot of, like, joking. Mm-hmm. And she always insisted, like, look them in the eyes. They're, they're humans. Yeah. They, they need love and they need, they need our help. Mm-hmm. Like, it can be jarring, but mm-hmm. we need to treat them with respect like and humans. some fucking humanity. Yeah. yeah. And oftentimes, the men who needed her help couldn't be seen on the street. Yeah. Like, they live their lives... In solitude. Yeah. The way in history disabled people have been treated is... It's fucking appalling is what it is. Yeah. Uh, And this is no different. Like, right outside of one of the hospitals where they did plastic surgery and stuff, Mm -hmm. they had blue benches. And these blue benches outside were specifically for men who, who were patients who had... These, like, disfigured faces mm-hmm. because they were like, just sit here. This is specially for you. But also, oh. as like, they were painted blue so that people walking down the sidewalk would be like, oh, there's the blue benches. We can't walk past there because they're scary or, yeah. you know. So, yeah, on more than one occasion, people just fainted, like, out mm. of fear, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And so Anna started 
this whole process by getting to know the men. Their quirks and, you know, hobbies and their daily habits, what their siblings looked like, and would figure out the capabilities of making, like, facial expressions that they had left. And essentially, depending on what kind of expressions they could make, they kind of just chose one. Yeah. And went, okay, that's the one that you're going to have all the time from now on. Mm -hmm. So she'd sit them down. She'd make a plaster cast of their subject's face. So essentially life cast, Mm -hmm. which, no, don't mean to brag, I know how to do. And I've done like, (laughs) I don't know, probably 20 of them. And then, so she would have this cast. She'd then sculpt in their features, uh, which oftentimes would be like recreating an eye mm-hmm. and the bone structure or, you know, just in that yeah. whole part of your face or a nose or, a, you know, a new jaw, basically just the complete like lower half of someone's face. Yeah. Which is really cool. The pictures of all of these things are just fascinating. It's, it's really incredible. So after like recreating these missing parts uh, like I said, she sculpted them in based on, like, reference photos and and things of that nature. So then it was galvanized in copper, so it would be really lightweight. Hmm. And then it was attached to either, like, a pair of glasses um, hmm. or just, like, a, a loop that kind of went over just one ear. Yeah. So it would stay in place. So after, like, a whole bunch of fittings and adjustments and stuff... Anna would place it on the patient. She's like, okay, it fits. Everything is, like, as seamless as we can get it, etc. And then she would bring out her paint set. So she's, she would spend hours mm-hmm. trying to find essentially, like, a permanent foundation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard enough to match your skin tone. Yeah. To the light that you're looking at it in the store and mm-hmm. then you go outside and it looks a different way and you go in you know low light and it looks a different way mm-hmm. and because skin looks different and changes under different you know light sources paint doesn't have the dimension that skin does so she had to find a skin tone that matched but then also find like a happy medium between what's going to look good outside and inside, et cetera, et cetera. Which I think is fucking fascinating. Yeah. It's part of why I wanted to be a makeup artist. Because color in general mm-hmm. is just something that, like, blows my mind. And I really enjoy it. Okay. So. Uh, oh, also, she would create eyebrows and mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> When necessary. And I thought that was hilarious. So she would, like, use, you know, like, human hair and, like, make little mustaches and attach them. But I was like, well, then you can't ever change your facial hair. You better keep that mustache. Unless you can, you know. Remove, like, Mr. Potato Man it? No. Like, um, (laughs) like, if it was human hair, you could, like, mold it and, like, shape it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like... You can't suddenly decide you don't want a mustache anymore oh, and shave yeah. it on one side because your mask is going to yeah. have the mustache on that side. Yeah. Okay. 
I get what you Although, mean. Although, I did look. I'm. This is crass. However, when I was reading this and thinking about it, I really had this hilarious vision in my head of Mrs. Potato Head going, Don't forget your angry eyes! (laughs) (laughs) And it just tickled me. Anyway. Okay. So, this is an enormous labor of love. Mm -hmm. Right? None of these things are easy or fast. Yeah. And so, within about a year and a half of the studio opening and taking its first patients, they made about 185 masks, which is roughly two and a half masks every week. Wow. Which is, I... It's look, a lot from start to finish It's to be doing. such an enormous amount of work. And it was like, it was Anna, and I think she had... Somewhere between, like, three and five assistants over the course of the time that the studio was open. Which is fucking bananas how many man hours are going into creating these things. Also, side note, when I do my funny notes mm-hmm. on my tablet, I really enjoy it because I can put emojis. And I put <laughs> I put the mind-blowing emoji Yeah. after 2.5 masks every week. <laughs> It It's a good time. So, eventually the Red Cross just ran out of money. And the studio was forced to close. Mm. However, her services to these soldiers earned her the Légion d'Honneur. Ooh. Right? Which is an, essentially like an order of merit mm-hmm. from the French government. And it's the highest decoration of France. Mm, and wow. she also earned the Serbian Order of Saint Sava. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's also an incredibly high honor. So after World War One, she I think they continued to live in France for a while because her husband continued to work at that hospital. Mm-hmm. They eventually made their way back to the U.S. But after the war... Her artwork changed significantly. So what was once whimsical, poetic, and lively became much more serious and modern in tone, Mm -hmm. in, you know, feel, and also appearance. So, like, for example, for a war memorial uh, that was commissioned by uh, the Manchester by the Sea American Mm -hmm. Legion, um, she sculpted two medallions that are that are part of it so it's just like you know the semicircle and inside the medallion there's like a decayed corpse skeleton looking thing Ooh. stretched out like a scarecrow on barbed wire so it's oh, wow. like oh that that turned that that got dark yeah very quickly that has a powerful message yeah it sure does she also sculpted a piece that I couldn't, I couldn't actually find a picture of it, which is very upsetting. But it's the the title of it is called Peace, like P E A C E, mm. right? And she said of it, Peace is not represented as a woman with a dove and an olive branch, but as the only power capable of crushing and controlling the brute war that is crushing the youth of the world. Wow. Yeah, like just she got a lot of perspective. She from sure World did. War One. 
She sure did. So in 1936, Anna retired with her husband. They moved to California and she died in Santa Monica in 1939. I'm not sure how she died. I tried to find it and I couldn't. How, but old, it, how old was she? She was 60. Okay. So it's just, I, first of all, her story is super interesting mm-hmm. just to see the differences between how she was before ever seeing any of the trauma inflicted by war mm-hmm. and who she was as a person and seeing that reflected in her artwork afterwards. It's such like, it's a, such a powerful thing to be like, war does not only affect soldiers mm-hmm. and people who see battle. Yeah. But it affects it. Just the, um, there's a lot of the trauma reverberations yeah. of trauma just from, you know, from the epicenter all the way out to a woman who was just like, I'm going to use these skills to make these masks, to make these men feel better mm-hmm. and feel like they can fit in back into society. Yeah. Which is incredible. But to see how their trauma affected her and, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's the story of Anna Coleman Ladd. I like that. Thank you. I don't... I feel like I might have heard of her because she might have had something in the Rodin Museum. Oh. If she was a bronze sculptor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if that was like a... I mean, she's got a ton. She's got a ton of artwork. A lot of sculptures, but she also has, like I said, like paintings and portraits and stuff that, I mean, they are constantly just popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. There's two sculptures on sale right now both of you know oh wow both of them are in an auction for i think the auction started at 1500 oh wow and you know so that's just i'm sure there's probably pieces all over the place yeah thank you all right who are you doing who are you talking about so hopping out of america okay get out of there and we're going to the Dominican Republic. Ooh, I'm going that's to, exciting. Going to talk to you today about the Mirabel sisters. Oh. You heard of them? Nope. Okay. I don't think so. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. They're a pretty big deal. So okay. I might have, and I just don't know. That's you. Maybe when you hear, you'll yeah, know. yeah. Uh, so my sources are rejectedprincess.com, which I <laughs> Zeth read that. Mm-hmm. The other day when I was taking notes and he was like, do you just use that site every time? Yeah. Oh, it's a good web. It's a good blog. It is. Real quick. Let me cite my sources because I never do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I used Wikipedia a little bit. I used a mental floss article called Reconstructing History. Anna Coleman Ladd, the mask artist of World War One, mm-hmm. SmithsonianMag.com and the National Museum of American History. Okay. Okay. That's it. Anyways, I would highly recommend you start looking on rejectedprincesses.com. I love rejected princesses. I've used it several times. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I used it um, for uh, Kutalun, and I think that's it. Yeah. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy these stories, (laughs) I would say also take a look at rejectedprincesses.com. Everybody who's not me. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I also used Wikipedia and a website called stmuhistorymedia.com. Okay. So, the Mirabel sisters were four sisters in the, in the Dominican Republic, and their names were Patricia, Minerva, Maria, Teresa, and Dee Dee. Those weren't their names, but that's what they went by. Okay. Now, even though there are four, what we're going to do right now at the top is forget about Dee Dee. Because she's not very important to the story. Uh, she lived a very different life from her sisters. Nothing wrong okay. with that, really. But we're just going to forget her. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. No problem. <laughs> Dee, Erase, you're out. Erase her from your mind for now. <laughs> she comes up every once in a while, but we're not going to talk about her. Okay. The three sisters, Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa, are also known in history as Las Mariposa, or the butterflies. I've heard of them. There you go. Okay. There, you there go. we go. <laughs> um... <laughs> They came from a relatively well-to-do family in the central Caballo region of the Dominican Republic, and their family owned a farm, and they grew up in a fairly humble, Catholic, conservative environment. The three sisters were bright students and were sent to a Catholic boarding school at a time when education wasn't very affordable, so Mm. it was like... Really nice that they were able to do that. Yeah. Um, the oldest of the sisters was Patria, and she left school at 17 to marry a farmer. Uh, and the other two sisters went to university and continued with their education. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minerva, the middle sister, ended up going t- to get a law degree. Oh. And Maria Teresa, the youngest sister, went for mathematics. That is fortunate. Which is... A mathematics degree just blows my mind, because how can you do that much math? Amen. <sighs> They honestly probably would have lived relatively normal lives, given their upbringing and, you know, this environment that they grew up in. Yeah. But that's not what destiny had in store for them. And Mm. I'll tell you why. Okay, please do. (laughs) So, the Dominican Republic at the time was controlled by a cruel totalitarian leader named Rafael... Oh, my God. You tried so hard. I tried so hard. I, then I had to look, I had to look up if she was if Anna Coleman Ladd was in the Rodin Museum. <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Tru- Trujillo. Trujillo? Yeah, Trujillo. I'm so bad with accents and like saying things correctly. Anyways, at a time of this leader, mm-hmm. Tru- Trujillo. Trujillo. God, damn, I wrote it Hi-yo. so many times. Trujillo. 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 It's two L's. So yes. It's yo. Yes. I wrote it down so many times. I don't know Spanish, but I know that. This ain't the end. (laughs) (laughs) So, he was a shitty dude that, like many shitty leaders of the... Ever. He used secret police. And spies to control Mm -hmm. the nation through violence and manipulation. He owned and controlled most of the country's utilities. So, like... Oh. Don't fuck with him or else he'll not give you water kind Mm -hmm. of deal. Um, And he was quick to punish people for the slightest wrongdoing. Uh, he also had a special section of his secret police that were known as, quote, beauty scouts that searched for oh, young no. women, sometimes children, and their job was to bring these women and children to Trujillo for him to either romance, kidnap, or rape. No. Uh-huh. He was a really fucking shitty dude. <laughs> yeah. Bad. Ugh. So the Mirabel sisters were very beautiful, and their family was forced by the secret lease secret police to come to this to come to an event minerva specifically had caught this dickhead trujillo's eye and when she realized this she politely turned him down mm-hmm. she's like i'm not gonna be romanced like that's not yeah what's happening uh he didn't accept her no 
surprise, surprise. And he began to force himself on her, and she slapped him in the face, gathered her family, and got the fuck out of there. She noped that right she, out. No, she noped that right to the countryside back <laughs> with her family. <laughs> and I don't I think was, he took that well. No, we know that. Mm-hmm. He was a fucking monster. And so he had now this personal vendetta against Minerva Uh-oh. and did all he could to ruin her life. First, he imprisoned her father. And after being brutalized in captivity, her father was released and then he died shortly afterwards. After this, uh, Trujillo didn't stop his harassment, and when Minerva and her mother had gone to the capital for a trip, they were trapped in their hotel room, and a message was sent to Minerva, and it was like, if you sleep with Trujillo, he'll let you go. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. Um, And she, again, was like, the fuck no, and her and her mother, like, escaped out of there. Just fucking noped. Noped the fuck out. (laughs) A lot of um, noping in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> he found out that she was studying law. And so he barred her from enrolling t- into classes until she would give a speech uh, that focused on Trujillo's virtues as a leader. Oh, my God. <laughs> she didn't do it. But regardless of the decision, she was able to continue classes. I, d- I assume he just sort of was like, gave up. Yeah. Or, like, I have to focus on ruining somebody else's life for a second. Oh, gosh. So she graduated from university, summa cum laude, but then was denied a license to practice law because Trujillo was like, hold on, no. He's a bad guy. Jesus Christ. At this point, Minerva was married and became super outspoken against the regime. And her family began to rally around her and speak out against his, against his regime as well because mm-hmm. he was... Ruining many people's lives and also yeah. directly theirs. Um, Maria Teresa, the youngest, was the first to join her sister in activist activities. Uh-huh. And later, Patria also got involved after she had witnessed a massacre by some of Trujillo's men while she was on a religious retreat. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the sister, Dee Dee, didn't join them. She had some. She had other things going on She's in busy. her life, which is why we don't talk about her. Um, And so the three sisters established their group, and it became known as the Movement of the 14th of June. And the date that they're named after was the massacre that Patria witnessed. Oh, okay. And the primary goal of the group was just to oppose Trujillo at every turn. Mm -hmm. And he learned about it, obviously, secret police, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so his wrath then turned completely to the Mirabelle family and their husbands and not just Minerva. Jesus Christ. H. Christ. Yeah. So he went after the family's finances and he went after their finances and basically just made them go broke. He ruined them. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be. Yeah. (laughs) He's a bad guy. He's (laughs) throwing fucking temper tantrums and ruining people's lives because he's like, you won't sleep with me. You won't do what I want you to do. Yeah. What a garbage person. Yeah. Complete, complete garbage trash. Just throw, throw the whole thing out. Fuck him. <laughs> so, without any money, the family was just like, well, there's no point in, like, working. Because mm-hmm. they, like, probably couldn't hold the job. Yeah. And so, all of their time was spent to overthrowing him. They distributed pamphlets, uh, gathered materials for weapons, and even made makeshift bombs 
out of firecrackers around the kitchen table. Oh, shit. <laughs> Just a fun little family crafting time. <laughs> <laughs> you want a game night? Ga- bomb night. Bomb night? Okay. Bomb night. Yeah. They were ready and willing to either oust or kill Trujillo uh, at whatever cost. And around this time is when they became known as Las Mariposa. Okay. So I'm going to read each... I'm going to read a quote from each sister about Trujillo. Okay. So, Patria once said, We cannot allow our children to grow up in this corrupt and tyrannical regime. We have to fight against it, and I am willing to give up everything, even my life if necessary. (laughs) The cat liked that. (laughs) Nugget is into it. (laughs) Minerva said... It is a source of happiness to do whatever can be done for our country that suffers so many anguishes. It is sad to stay with one one's arms crossed. So she's happy. Oh, mm-hmm. And then Maria Teresa said, Perhaps what we have most near is death, but the idea does not frighten me. We shall continue to fight for what for which is just. God damn. They were intense about yeah. this their hatred for this guy. Rightfully so. Yeah. In 1960, they planned an assassination attempt at a cattle fair, oh. um, but they were exposed and they were all thrown in jail. No bueno. Yeah. Being the enemy of a government and being in at their mercy in yeah. a jail, it's not great. Oh, gosh. However, at this point, the sisters had become pretty well known in the world in terms of their activism uh-huh. and due to international pressure... The women were quickly released, uh, but their husbands oh, wow. remained in jail. But still, that's that's yeah. a thing. Yeah, like that doesn't just happen. Like people have to know who the fuck you are to be like, you need to let them go. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so they're out of they're out of jail, and Trujillo's power was beginning to wane at this point. So he wasn't very liked in the international community, and he wasn't very liked in his country. Weird. I can't imagine why. I'm so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And he blamed the sisters for his misfortunes. He was like, if these girls, if Minerva just would have slept with me, I would have been fine. This would never have been a problem. And so he began to orchestrate their murders and their assassination. Oh, Jesus. So... The husbands who were in jail, mm-hmm. they transferred out of the city into a countryside, like, mountain area. Mm. And once they were moved, the sisters were like, well, it's a trap. If we go to visit our husbands, yeah. uh, something in this remote area is going to happen to us. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Fucking smart cookies. But... <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't like so a So, they, they knew it was going to happen, but they wanted to visit their husbands. They loved them, and they were... In prison because they had picked up a cause that they were passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they're not being treated, like, really great. Yeah, exactly. It was... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and their friends begged the sisters not to go visit them, mm-hmm. but they did anyways. So. Their, and then things got worse. Unfortunately, their suspicions were correct. And on their way home from the jail... They were ambushed by the secret police. So they got to see their husbands. Mm-hmm. On their way back, they were in a jeep. The and were ambushed, uh, and the assassin assassination was a quote clumsy and brutal affair. So mm. they were strangled and beaten to death by the police, and then put back into the car and then pushed over the cliff. Oh my god! And then the government then said like, it was an accident. See, they got into a car crash, uh-huh. kind of deal. Yep. 
likely fucking story. <laughs> but they did a really bad job of making it look like an mm-hmm. accident. So there were clear fingerprints all over the vehicle and obvious trauma on the sisters' bodies that were not consistent with a car mm-hmm. crash. Also, <laughs> in the middle of the ambush, Patria was nope the fuck out of there. Yeah. Like they were so good at doing and escaped for a short period of time and was able to flag down a passing driver, <gasps> tell them who they were and what was about to happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then she was like, you need to get out of here and tell people what's happening because if not, they're going to, they're going to just believe that we it's, died in that Everything is going to blow over and be like hunky dory. Yeah. And nobody's going to know the truth of what happened. There's going to be no accountability. Oh my gosh. So okay. he pressed on his gas, got out of there mm-hmm. and spread the word and was able to tell everyone about it. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was clear that they didn't die in an accident and became martyrs for the cause. Mm-hmm. And, like, they were very willing to die for this cause, and it's sad that they had to die. Mm-hmm. But the after effects, they basically became a catalyst for the overthrow of Yeah, Trilo. they kind of, like, it's, it's, super, it's super sad that mm-hmm. this happened to them. But they kind of went out in a fucking blaze of glory. Yeah, like, they did. We're going down, but you're following quickly behind us. And six months after the Maribel's assassination, Trujillo was assassinated. It was like bad, but (laughs) murder's bad. But also murder murderers. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking be like Dexter. (laughs) Take care of shit. Michael C. Hall and just Mm -hmm. kill a killer. Mm-hmm. That might be a bad take. <laughs> Look. Because the death penalty is bad. Don't listen to us. But... I mean, listen to us. Mer- yeah. But, but just know that if you try it... Killing somebody not- in self-defense is fine. <laughs> <laughs> listen to Kiana. Man, why am I... <laughs> you are really in the murder right now. In the beginning of <laughs> this podcast we are very against murder and now i'm sitting here 30 maybe it's not that bad right anyway (laughs) so one historian said of the mirabelle's assassination and trujillo's shortly afterwards that (laughs) megan is really upset that we're in here by ourselves can you hear that on the (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, anyways. Geeks is shook. (laughs) I'm scared. I feel like I've said something wrong. (laughs) So a historian said, quote, The cowardly killing of three beautiful women in such a manner had a greater effect on Dominicans than most of Trujillo's other crimes. It did something to their machismo. They could never forgive Trujillo for this crime. Wow. Uh, The sisters became symbols and icons of both popular and feminist resistance. And Dee Dee, the sister who we don't think of uh, and survived Trujillo's reign, was able to raise her sister's children. And then her, their children then entered into the government later. Oh, wow. So they were so... Full circle. Inspired by, yeah, their in, mothers. In a, in a good, positive way. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. Um, in 1994, novelist Julia Alvarez commemorated their story in a historical fiction novel called In the Time of the Butterflies, mm-hmm. which is very popular. And I have the, I never read it, mm-hmm. but the front cover of that book 
is in my mind. Mm. Because it was, like, everywhere. Well, I'm going to have to listen to this book now. (laughs) And in the story, it imagined smaller details of their life that were lost to time. Mm -hmm. And in 2001, the book was adapted into a movie called In the Time of the Butterflies Uh and starred Selma Hayek. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on every November 25th, which is the date that they died, uh, the world celebrates a UN-designated International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women in their honor. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. (laughs) They're very important to the history of their country and to women's resistance and a lot of things. I like them a lot. So, and also, last thing, in the Dominican Republic, their home province was renamed after them, called, uh, and it's now Hermanas Mirabel, so the Mirabel mm-hmm. sisters, and almost all the towns in the Dominican bear some sort of commemorative marker mm-hmm. for the sisters, oh. uh, so, like, schools are named after uh-huh. them, roads, like, town squ- like, stuff like that, and they're amazing. <laughs> Fascinating. That's so cool. What a great story. Yeah. It's really sad. It is. But first it's, first of all, knowing that before they m- met a, their very violent end, which mm-hmm. is upsetting, but that they were like, fuck it. I am willing, ready and willing mm-hmm. to give my life to end this motherfucker. Yeah. They were, I admire them because they're very powerful women yeah and to be one of the key factors to take down a totalitarian dictator mm-hmm. is a uh, phenomenal <laughs> that's bananas yeah wow what a good yay i like them a lot and what a good story there's one of zeth's co-workers husbands mm-hmm. they just got married we went to their wedding okay. and instead of her taking his name or hyphenating or whatever. Uh-huh. They just chose a new last name. Oh, that's right. You told me about them. Mm-hmm. And they they chose Mariposa. And that's because she grew up in Mariposa County. Mm-hmm. Or like where, wherever that is. I don't mm-hmm. know where that is. And then he is Dominican. And I believe he has some sort of distant relation to the sisters. Wow. And I just... And it, we had... I had discovered this and was talking to them about it. Like at the beginning of when uh-huh. we were doing this podcast. And I was like... <laughs> Man, I gotta do them because I like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, I was just reminded by them because of uh-huh. him. Nice and them, their couple. Anyways. That's a rad fucking story. It is. And also, I like the idea of two people changing their last names when they get married. I love stuff. that idea. <laughs> Instead of Lerf, taking you into it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us are changing our names, but mm. I do love that idea. And that they both have, like, a connection to it yeah. is really lovely. It is. Damn, those are some badass women. Yeah. I <laughs> I didn't know they had a fourth sister. <laughs> Which is really, I really died. love how you fucking introduced. D- yeah, Dee Dee, for fucking forget about Dee Dee. She died in, like, 2014. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She lived a long, happy life. I don't know about she happy. Did. She lost but three sisters. Also, she lost three sisters. Also, congrats to Dee Dee. I don't know how well she did it, but taking on 
like oh. her sister's children mm-hmm. and raising them to then turn around and be forces for good in the world. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. first of all not easy to do. Mm-mm. And secondly, like just that's way to go. Yeah. I feel like if there was ever a musical about the Maribel sisters, it would be the three it would be like the Skylar sisters song in Hamilton uh-huh. and but she would just jump in and be like, and Dee Dee, and then not be mentioned for the rest <laughs> of the play. <laughs> like, that's all I thought about while taking these oh notes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> let's write it. Let's do it. Can we? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do it. I, ooh. Yep. I wrote, a, I got bored at work and wrote a poem about Griselda Blanco. And I need this, to, <laughs> why, I love you so much. <laughs> I need to record myself saying it and we'll post it on our patreon yes oh god i'm so excited (laughs) anywho please rate review and subscribe for this episode Mm -hmm. you can follow us on all of our social medias on twitter we are at broads got moxie Mm -hmm. and on facebook and instagram at that broads got moxie Mm-hmm. And if you have any suggestions or comments or what ad- addendums, what if you're from the Dominican Republic and have something around you named <gasps> after the sisters, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear it. I think yeah. that'd be interesting. Uh, please email us at thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail.com. <laughs> that's right. That's our thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got for this week. Mm-hmm. Hopefully my peas are not so popping. <laughs> also, I didn't no mic was dropped in the making of this lose episode. myself or the mic. Okay, okay, that's it. Bye, bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick it to the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.